But take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Peter. I wanted just to talk to you a little bit because of a, a reason. I got a reason. I'm tired. I'm tired. Are y'all tired? Do you feel like you're just worn out sometimes? Not sure if you can go uh, anymore. Just got to slow down, take it easy a little bit. I think everybody in the whole church ought to take a, a month vacation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> but we, you know what we ought to do is we ought, ought to take a cruise for about a week. The whole church rent a whole floor on a boat and just, and then we'll have our services on the boat. And uh, surely something like this ought to be able to work, be worked out. And uh, it's too far to take an Alaskan cruise, so we'll just go down here to somewhere close. After what I hear about some of these ships going under, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> Man, they got some crazy guys driving these boats. <laughs> but, you know, you, you do get tired and you, and you get weary. And sometimes, you know, the devil knows just when to jump all over you. When you get down just a little bit or discouraged a little bit or, you know, depressed a little bit, you'd be surprised how the devil watches us and just looking for the right moment. Well, the Bible says that the trial of your faith, so that means your faith is on trial. In other words, somebody's, somebody's doing something. Your faith is on trial, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold and silver. Though it be tried with fire, he says, may be found in the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So, the Bible teaches that those that live godly are going to suffer. It means you're going to suffer things in areas and ways that you wouldn't if you didn't serve the Lord. Now, there's enough troubles in the world, but whenever you make up your mind to serve the Lord, the devil is not going to leave us alone. The devil works on you. You may know that, but sometimes we forget about it because he tried to convince you, hey, I'm leaving you alone. I'm leaving you alone. And... You can't do that. You can't do it. You're too tired. You're too weak. You can't keep going. You ought to just quit. Just quit. And you'd be surprised how the devil just whispers in your ear, tells you all kinds of things. But what I wanted you to look at there is because in, in this book, the key word, I think, is to suffer. Suffer. And who in the world likes that? But, you know, the Christian life isn't about what we like. It's about a, getting a job done and paying a price to get it done. So it's not going to be a, a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy. You're going to struggle. There's always things that you think, well, I could have done this or I could have done that. And the devil just always constantly wants to pull you down, drag you down. But look what he says here in uh, this verse. In 1 Peter in chapter 1, it says there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. So we know we've been saved and saved to something. To an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. We've got us a place already reserved in heaven. And God's not going to take and 
cancel your reservation. I'm sorry, you canceled it. You didn't check back in with me. You didn't live right. You, you forgot your last payment on that thing. So. There's nothing to pay for. A reservation made. We're in good standing because we're in Christ. So then he says in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. So we didn't have the power to save ourselves, and we don't have the power to keep ourselves saved. That's his power. He saved us. He keeps us saved. I don't worry about it. I don't have any doubts about it. And so he makes this statement in verse 6. However, he says, wherein you greatly rejoice. This truth that what we have in Christ, we greatly rejoice. We're so thrilled to death about that. We know we got it made. We know in the end we win. We know we're going to heaven. But we've got to live in the nasty here and now. And so he says here, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, now, for a season. For this little period of time God gives us to live right now, he says, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And that's the sufferings of living in this old world. We're in heaviness through manifold temptations. We can, sometimes it seems like there's so many things to do and it can begin to snowball. And you have to learn how to rest while you work. Rest while you work. And that's why he says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith produces sorrow. It produces a heaviness because there's a burden to bear See, a lot of God's children, they, they're AWOL. They haven't even reported for duty because they don't want the responsibility. If you learn what God's Word says, there is a, an element that puts pressure upon you to do something about it. But if you're ignorant, they say, ignorance is bliss. It may be for a while. But when a person stands before the Lord and finds out what they could have done if they had only known. But they didn't take the time to listen, to learn, to study. And it's going to cost them so much that they could have had. And so he makes a statement here. In verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We don't see him, but we love him. And we rejoice exceedingly because we know that one day we will. And it's also very interesting that when you study in the book of Peter, and he's talking so much about the suffering, the suffering, and it is mentioned all throughout, that he uses an illustration in chapter 3, about marriage. Now, I don't know why he did that, but he did that. Did you know that most of your pressure and so forth can come from home? If a man wants to serve the Lord and his wife doesn't, you realize the pressure, the suffering can be there? Or sometimes, we have a lot of time, women that want to serve the Lord, and the man doesn't want to. That puts pressure. It causes them to suffer. They hurt because of it. Because they think how wonderful it could be. And they want it to be, well, the ideal 
marriage, the ideal family. But we have an old sinful nature, and everybody does. It seems like there's nothing ideal. It's just not that way. I've counseled people, and I say, why do you want to get married? I said, have you ever seen a marriage exactly like what you want? And I've had several couples going to get married. No. They all want something better than whatever they've seen. But they don't know how to get it. I think a lot of people who are married want happiness and peace and joy and unity, but don't know how to get it. Because they don't know that all they're doing is just beating up on each other. Or to have children that know the Lord and love the Lord and love the parents. Wouldn't that be neat if all children did that? And yet you talk about if you want to serve the Lord, you've got to suffer because you may not get everything you want. You may get a wife that doesn't serve the Lord. You may get a husband that doesn't serve the Lord. You may have kids that won't, don't want to serve the Lord. You may have health problems that cause you to suffer. And you can have financial problems that puts a lot of pressure upon you. And you say, well, is it worth it? This period of time, remember, is so short. It'll be over like this. Be found faithful. Do what you can with what you have where you are. So here in 1 Peter and chapter 2, it talks about the power that God has. And see, now we give him praise. We give him honor. We give him glory. Because later on, when we get to heaven, God will give us praise and honor and glory. So you see that in verse 21, he says, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory and gave him glory. We ought to give him glory just for the opportunity. Now get this. Not to be rich, not to be famous, but to suffer. Be thankful we have an opportunity for all these pressures because it's an opportunity for us to prove our love and loyalty to the Lord. And we often sing this song, it will be worth it all. Do we really believe it? So he says up there, that your faith and hope might be in God. Our faith, our hope should be in the Lord. How do you know it isn't? Let things happen to you. And it'll reveal how much faith you have. How strong you really are. What does it do to you? What do the problems and the pressures of this life, what does it do to you? Now, I get tired sometimes. I get so weary sometimes. I was talking with Betty, and we both looked at each other today. We said, we have all just go home and go to sleep. Because you, sometimes you just you go and you go and you go, and you get tired. But there's so much it seems like it needs to be done. And we'll rest one of these days. It's coming down the road. There comes a day when no man can work. I want to do as much as I can while I can. Now notice what he says here. In verse 11 of chapter 2, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which, and you ought to underline those words, war against the soul. There's things that war against you. Tries to keep you from achieving that which God has. Burden you down. 
cause you questions and doubts and wonder whether or not is it, is it worth the struggle. It's easy just to quit and give up, and a dead fish can float downstream, but you're going to have to be pretty alive to go upstream. That's why I'm always amazed at the salmon that goes up in Alaskan waters, and, those, and they go all the way back up there, and they jump up great big old things. I saw the news the other night. This salmon jumped clean up, way up out of the thing, and there was a big old bear raiding right there. Big old bear standing in the stream, waiting for that fish, but he was shocked. And that great big old fish came up there and slapped him right in the face and it fell back in the water and got away. And this bear is still like, <laughs> you would think that bear had had his mouth open and made a meal. But that big old fish came up there and just slapped him right in the face, big old bear. I wonder if that fish thought about that before he jumped. But anyway, war against the soul, wars against the soul. And so this is what God wants. Now look there in verse 19. Verse 19. And this is thanksworthy if a man for conscience toward God enjoy grief. No. Endure grief. Suffering wrongfully. Remember in this life you can't make everything right. Sometimes you may have to just allow yourself to be defrauded, to be wronged. I have been wronged many times over and over and over again. Let it go. It ain't worth it. Because what you're about and what you're doing is so important. You see, the train doesn't stop for every barking dog. The train just keeps on a moving like that dog ain't even there. And like I've said before, the best way to deal with all of your critics is outlive them. Because you see, if they're bad and you're good, you just love to live long enough to enjoy the moment. But look at that, suffering wrongfully. Suffering. It's almost like it's present tense, like it's an ongoing thing. Not like something that happened in the past, but you're enduring it. You're doing it now. It's now. It's where you are. Then look what he says in verse 20. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults? You should be. But there's no glory in that. And you take it patiently. I'm suffering for Jesus' sake. No, you could have been stupid. Don't blame everything on the Lord. You did something wrong and you suffered for it. <laughs> No, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because you made some dumb mistakes. But when you're doing what's right and you suffer for it, you don't get the credit you think you ought to, to receive. And that'll happen a lot of times. Nobody appreciates you like the Lord. Now, people may appreciate you a little bit, but now you know you're, worth, you're worthy of more praise, honor, and glory than you've been getting, right? So he says, Take it patiently. But if when you do well, when you do well, when you do well, and you suffer for it, it says, this is acceptable with God. So whenever you're suffering, just chalk it up. That's fine. God sees. God's going to take care of it. I win. You lose. In your mind, you know that. Who keeps the books? He keeps the books. Just let him keep the books. 
He won't forget anything. It would be a sin for God to forget your work and labor for the Lord. Look what he says in the next verse. Verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also, and here's that word again, suffered, suffered for us. Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. In other words, maybe God is concerned about you suffering for him. You say, boy, I didn't know it was going to be this much. But it comes in different ways. You see, it would be different if you and I could choose which way to suffer and when to suffer. Then we'd be ready for it. But we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose the trial and the testing. God does all that for us. There's a course laid out. We've got to run our race. So as we're running our race, God puts little obstacles or allows them to be put in our way. And they cause us a lot of heartache. And you know, all those things causes a person who wants to serve the Lord get a little bit closer to the Lord. So God uses things to crowd you to Christ. Crowd it to Christ. I got a book this thick I got from Dr. Lee Robertson years ago called Crowded to Christ. I read that book and I'd cry. I'd read some more and I'd cry. I read that book and I'd cry. I cried almost all the way through the book because I was living the book. What I was going through in my life, I was living that book. And everything seems to be pointing, this is me. This is me. And buddy, did it really help me to understand some of the trials that you go through in life. And so he says, following. Look in verse 23 where he says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, when he suffered. So all of this is, wouldn't it be easier for God just to remove all the things that causes us to suffer? Now that would be a blessing. That would be an answer to prayer. But then he might as well just go ahead and take you on home because that's not why he left you here. He wants you to demonstrate to the world you love him more than anything that could ever happen, whether good or bad. It wouldn't change you. You are the way you are because this is your character. Good things happen, praise the Lord. Bad things happen, praise the Lord. And it doesn't matter. Remember in the book of Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Should we bless the Lord only when he gives? And curse him when he takes things away. When it's easy for us, we praise the Lord. God sure is good. Did you know when your worst day, your darkest day, God is still just as good. His characteristic, he, he don't change. God doesn't become evil one day and good the next day. He is a perfect God that makes no mistakes. We're supposed to believe all of that. But he says here in verse 23, there's a, a word here, committed. I want you to look at verse 23 again. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Can you commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously? Knowing God saw this. God saw what people said and what people did. God knows how I hurt and what caused it. And I'm committed to him, knowing he will judge righteously, and I don't have to worry about it. It keeps you from taking matters into your own hand and saying or doing something that you wish you hadn't have done 20 years later. It's a pretty good information, really does. 
Now look there in chapter 3. Chapter 3. And look down there in verse 7. Verse 7 where he says, So likewise ye husbands dwell with them, talking about your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now that's going to be difficult, I know. I was talking to the college kids the other day, and I might even mention it yesterday or Sunday. That, you know, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And they don't understand God, so God must not exist. So I said, that would be like, since I don't understand my wife, therefore she doesn't exist. No. She does exist, and she is for real, and you may never understand her all the days of your life. That's okay. That just comes with the territory. You should have known that when you married him, unless you got married young and didn't, and didn't have any sense. And so a lot of people get young, uh, you know, married when they're young, and got a bit of sense. Don't even know what love is. All we know is, I like you, you like me, let's get married. And there you go. And uh, could cost you as much as $5, you know. If you're the right kind of a man, the wife will be willing to buy you, you know, pay $5 for you. My wife got me 50% off. Good deal. But anyway, you look up there in this verse 7 where he makes this statement. According to knowledge given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, eternal life, that, and you ought to underline this, your prayers be not hindered. And so... Your prayers can be hindered if things are not right at home. And you want to do right. You don't want your prayers to be hindered. But also to look at this verse. Look up here in verse 14. Verse 14 where he says, But and if ye suffer, but and if ye suffer, and that word if means and you will, the same as you read over there in the book of James when it says uh, uh, when you fall into diverse temptations, you know, and you will. And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, you're doing right, and you're paying a price. You try to discipline the way you should. Try to be a good dad or a good mom and kids and all that kind of stuff that goes on. And not everything is going to work out like you think. A lot of things down here is going to be a lot of loose ends. It's kind of like this um, little boy was sitting on the porch, and he was looking up at Grandma, and she's sitting in a rocking chair, and she's doing some embroidering, you know. So he's looking from his end. All he sees is those broken pieces of strings. But she's up there just to, working on a pattern. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a picture. Sure don't look like it to me. Well, what does it look like to you? It looks like nothing. Nothing's, there ain't no picture there at all. There's nothing. So when she got through, she let him see it. See, he was... He was looking from his perspective, and she was looking from her perspective. For you and me, we see things from this perspective. And all we see is a lot of broken ends, no continuity, nothing going together, no pattern. We don't see a design. And it just seems like it's so haphazard. And yet one of these days, God's going to bring us to heaven and going to show you what he's been doing. And you'll find out God has been working in your life in a marvelous way that you knew nothing about. And you won't understand it until you get there. So can we be patient? Can we wait long enough?
to see what God has been doing. The longer you live, you start seeing some of these things coming together. And you can see how God did this and why he did that and why he did that. And there'd be a lot of things that you don't understand. But he says, secret things belongeth unto the Lord. So if you look at it, it makes sense. But up there in verse 14. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. See those three little words? It's okay to suffer when you're doing right. And it's okay to be happy when people do you wrong. And there's a lot of people will say hurting, cutting, detrimental things to you. And people will fail you. Not everybody's faithful. It would be great if everybody was just faithful. Everybody's on the same page. And nobody hurt anybody. And, but we don't. We fail each other. I'll fail you. I'm a preacher, but I'm a man. I got faults. I, I think I found one of them about two years ago. It was a small one. No. But everybody, the best of us, has faults. Now, you may not have known that. I'm, I hate to tell on you. But it says, Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. In other words, there are terrorists in the world. There's people who cause us fear. Terrorists. Little terrorists. And did you know that Christians can be little terrorists? They can hurt you. They can scare you. Don't you hurt for those you love and you're afraid they're going to make some decisions that might put scars on them for the rest of their life and you, you can't stand it. You, you cringe because you don't want them to do that. And you're looking way down the road and all they think about is right now. Give me, give me, give me. I want to do whatever I want to do. It's my life and all that stuff. I know. And you suffer for it. But you can still be happy if you're doing what's right. Look at the next one I want you to see. Look in verse 17. For it is better. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It is God's will that you suffer for doing right. Those that live godly shall suffer persecution. You're going to be persecuted in one way or the other. And it might be the devil that will persecute you. 